Hi, and welcome to the Dying Task Podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and today we have kind of an unusual episode. I had a realization the other day, and it kind of stopped me in my tracks, and in a good way for a change. A lot of times when you say that, it's not good. <laughs> this one was one of those moments you sit back and you go, huh, that just happened, and how awesome is that? So here's the backstory on it. We hit the one-year countdown to the 2024 Paris Summer Olympics. Now, for those of you who are new to the show or maybe new to me, my background is that I work at KCRA TV. I'm a morning news anchor, and the other big part of my job over the last 25 years has been covering the Olympics for Hearst Television, our parent company. So I've had this opportunity to go to 10 Olympics, starting in 2000 at the Sydney Olympics. And I went in person to Olympics up until the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. The last two Olympics, we have not gone and traveled because, of course, we were in the pandemic. So our company wasn't sending people around the world for very obvious reasons. That said, I continued to lead our Olympic coverage. What did that look like? Well, it looked like Zooms. <laughs> Zooms in my laundry room, as I used to joke all the time. Um, and basically, you know, it worked. You were able to connect with a lot of athletes who also, by the way, were connecting via Zoom with journalists because they were trying to limit their exposure to try to stay healthy, to be able to compete in the Olympics. And, you know, I mean, we made it work. Was it super fun? Not all the time. It was a little sad. And, you know, the coverage was just very, very different. And it had to be. And even watching at home as a spectator just different. You know, you looked at those empty stadiums and for the athletes, they didn't have their families there, which having covered their parents at games was kind of heartbreaking because you knew what they were missing. And so there was something about it that I just found really sad. And for those athletes who it was their first Olympics or possibly first and only Olympics, that's the experience that they'll have. Win, lose, or draw, that's what they got. And so the Olympics, which I have always loved covering, just was very different. So as the Paris countdown started to approach, it started to feel just a little bit different, obviously, because we're out of this, you know, post-pandemic. And so all the, the pitches for athletes that started coming in and everything I was reading, I realized all of a sudden, like, it wasn't talking about masking and testing and protocols. It was just talking about things that you'll do in Paris, like eat croissants and have baguettes and maybe a little champagne. <laughs> like it all sounds amazing. And there are these great selfies you could take with the Eiffel Tower. It's Parisian and it's fun. And it's a little bit more of what the Olympics is supposed to be. So flash forward, one of the Olympians who I have interviewed quite a few times over the years is a guy named Gabe Gardner. And back in 2008 at the Beijing Summer Olympics, Gabe and his team won gold in volleyball. Now, Gabe lives in Sacramento, and he and I became good friends after that Olympics. And we have kids who are about the same age. And so over the years, like I've seen Gabe, it's swimming lessons and tennis lessons. And now we have sons who play water polo together. So I spend a lot of time <laughs> with Gabe sitting by a pool watching our kids play, which is really, really fun. So Gabe came in to do our one-year countdown. And he has an interesting perspective because he has 
since his playing time, worked as an athlete liaison, volunteered his time, which means he has represented the athletes with the USOPC, and she, he's just stayed very involved with, with the Olympic movement. He's also a board member for this big endowment for the Olympics and Paralympics, which is kind of a cool little side gig that he's done. Nice way to give back. And so he came in to do the one-year countdown when we talked about what the athletes need to do in the next year to be able to qualify, what's going through their minds right now, how cool does Paris look. And about midway through the interview, he and I both realized we were having the same thought. We weren't talking about COVID for the first time in years. He had been the person that we had used as an expert to talk about the impact for the athletes, what they're missing, what they don't even know that they're missing, that kind of thing. And we both were talking afterward about the fact that it just felt good to do something that you used to just take for granted, that used to just feel so normal and easy that for a couple of years became very complex. And it took the fun out of something that we both, both love, obviously for different reasons. He's got a gold medal. I've just gotten to get a lot of stamps in my passport, but both are very cool experiences. And we both had a deep appreciation for the idea that something was quote, normal again. So. I started thinking that this is really a year of this, whether it was your kids going back to school or you going back into an office or traveling and not having to maybe show a vaccination card or put on a mask as you got on a plane. This is a time for a lot of us where we're still encountering those first back to normal coming out of the pandemic. And those are really great times and we shouldn't ignore them, right? Because they're meaningful. And for us that day, it was really exciting to think about it in those terms. And hopefully, that's not even wood, but I'm knocking on it anyway. <laughs> hopefully, we stay on this path. And in the next year, all of those athletes and their families and all of us fans who just love to cheer them on will get that normal experience. And if you're really lucky, an Eiffel Tower selfie. So just a thought and a challenge to when you see the normal and you think, been there, done that, think, and how great is that? on top of it, okay? So now what I wanna do is play the actual Q&A that I did where Gabe and I had this major life re <laughs> revelation. So this is a Q&A with 2008 Olympic gold medalist Gabe Gardner about where athletes are and where Paris is one year before the 2024 Paris Summer Olympics. Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Gabe, the last two Olympics happening during the pandemic, looking ahead to Paris, what a different experience, not only for the athletes, but for fans as well. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to be through, you know, that difficult time for sports for everybody. And here we are a year out from a historic kind of rebirth of this modern Olympics here in Paris that's hosted a few times. I'm super excited. The Olympic movement, it seems like, kind of needs it, you know, and having something and having a games in such an iconic location with those iconic venues um, could really give it a, a, a big infusion of life again. I, I would agree with you. It does need a little bit of kick in the shorts. And I think um, Paris is 
you know, proved in the past what a wonderful city to host a game. Their venues are amazing, the backdrops that they have, the opportunity for tourists. I'm excited personally. I hope that I can get to go there. Oh, I'm sure you know some people. <laughs> Probably make that pretty good. For athletes hitting that one mark, one year mark, um, talk a little bit about psychologically where they need to be to be able to make that team next yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, I think one year out, it's probably the one, maybe one year and one month out is probably the two times that you really track as an athlete heading into the games. And the one year out mark means like, I'm gonna get every piece of the puzzle put together in my training, in my in my rehabilitation, in my physical, like every, every piece, the diet, all those things need to come together now so that you could be peaking right before the games and assure yourself that you're gonna make a spot on the Olympic team because it's competitive and it's nerve wracking right now. You are still so um, involved with Team USA and with the athletes and the athlete movement. What is the, the best bit of advice that you hope the athletes listen to when you give it, <laughs> whether it's I, overt or not? Yeah, I think the biggest advice is just leave it all out there and make sure you're looking, you're living, breathing everything that you can be doing to be on the top of your game because you want to go to the Olympics not to just go that's special by no means but you want to go to have a special moment an athletic moment that you want to remember forever and you know I was lucky in that sense that I was part of a great team that won a gold medal and that still you know it was a lot of guys about a year out giving their all you um had the iconic like like greatest moment an Olympic athlete could have. How does that still translate to your life all these years later? Wow. Um, well, that's a tough question because I feel like I try to be excellent at whatever I'm putting my time into. And that's really what I try to pass on to kids. It's like, if you're gonna give time to something, do to your best and that's, probably comes from the Olympics. Like if you're gonna go and you're gonna sacrifice family and traveling overseas and doing, you know, your whole life centers around making an Olympics, you might as well just go for it. And that's kind of what I think translates the most is just really, if you're gonna put time into something, give it your all, go all out, be the best you can be at it. You have two teenage sons. Are they starting to finally get what dad did way back when? Is You know, it's amazing. They're they're great kids and self-motivated and I think they get it but it's more like the mental side that I think yeah. you know teenagers really need to work on and they're good listeners and I'm super stoked at what they're doing. Thank, Thank you. you. That was great. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening to the Dying to Ask podcast. And thanks to everybody who has taken a moment to leave a rating, a review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to us. People always ask me, is it that big of a deal when people, you know, hit the stars and leave a, a rating or they actually take some time to write some words? It really is. There is this weird algorithm that suggests podcasts to people. When you finish a show, it'll probably say, if you like this, you'll probably like that. And when you actually either share the show or you leave a rating or review, that lets total strangers know that something you consumed and liked is worth their time. So that's why podcasters are always asking for this stuff and why I actually end every show saying, if you can take a minute, I would appreciate it. Again, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time with another episode of Dying to Ask.